We are going to continue to talk about our sovereign Lord today. And last week we talked about provision, God's sovereign provision. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to be there in just a few minutes. But we spoke last week about God's sovereign provision uh, and how we need to always remember that the God we serve is the God that created something from nothing. And uh, how we should always remember that He would send manna from heaven and water from a rock and not let their clothes wear out in the wilderness. Amen? Our God is a God of provision. Abraham called that place where God provided the lamb. We talked about Abraham and he told his son, he said, the son's saying, Dad, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? We've got the wood, we've got everything we need, but where's the lamb? And he said, son, uh, God himself will provide the lamb. We talked about Abraham's faithfulness to God how God spoke, Abraham obeyed, and God provided. And that's a pattern for us to understand about God's provision. We discussed those things in depth, and we talked about how that place, everybody say that place, that place is where God provided. Abraham said this place, this is where God provides, and how we are the walking temple of the Holy Spirit. And wherever we're at and God wants to provide for us, it's going to be that place that He can do it. Amen? Whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your home place, whether it's in the in, in uh, the ball fields or the wherever, it doesn't matter. Any place that you are, God is able to provide in that place. So today, we're going to continue with the same thought as we talk about God's provision through healing. I really wanted to cover it last week, but just didn't have the time to do it, so kind of split it up to talk about it this week. And I want us to remember that pattern that the Lord speaks, we obey, and He provides. As an obedient child... Is it okay if I mess with your heads a little bit today? Is it okay if I stretch your theology a little bit? Everybody's shaking yes except for Janet. Janet must have been wounded before by somebody stretching her head. Listen, I want us to, I want us to be so confident in who our God is that we don't fear anymore. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to worry. We don't need to doubt as to who our God is. But as obedient children of God, healing is something that we are promised. Healing is, and now I'm going to mess with you, I'm going to make this statement, and I'll make another statement that's going to mess with you a little bit here in a little bit, but uh, we need to listen to His voice, and when we believe upon Jesus as our Lord and Savior, healing is a guarantee. Somebody's going, well, see how that messed with you? Is it? Is it really a guarantee, Pastor? Because I don't know if it's really a guarantee. How many of you are cynical? Am I the only cynic in the world in the room? How many of you are a little bit cynical and say, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. That's me. I'm one of those people. I'm one of those guys that you don't want to have to hang out with because somebody said something happened and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. Don't ever take me to a magic show. (laughs) He didn't really do that. I'm one of those guys. But all of us will sit there and say, Pastor, let's be honest. You say that healing is a guarantee, and yet I've seen mamas pray over babies that didn't make it. I've seen grandmamas pray over their children, adult children, who didn't make it. I've seen people of the greatest faith die in the most horrendous ways of cancer and accidents and everything else. And you're telling me that a healing is a guarantee from God. Yes. I am. Now... Again, some of you are still struggling with this. And that's okay. I want you to struggle a little bit. Because the reason is, is we look at healing a lot of times with the same way that we look at scientific things. You cannot test spiritual things by scientific methods. 
See, healing is selective. Physical healing, like we're talking about right at the moment. Physical healing is selective. You can be in a room full of people and a person get healed and the rest of them leave and nothing. You look at Jesus' ministry, for example, the individual that was laying by the pool, I believe it was in Bethsaida, where the pool, the angel would stir it up and he said, but there's nobody to put me into the water. That guy left healed, but it doesn't say he healed anybody else in that area. Selective. You say, Pastor, how can you say then that it's a guarantee that it's a healing? You can't test it. For example, you can test. We know that gravity exists because we can test it. You can take a ball and throw it up in the air, and 100% of the time, it is a guarantee that that ball is going to fall back down to the earth. Amen? It's a guarantee. But when it comes to spiritual things, we struggle because Jesus says, Ask, and you shall receive. We see where Jesus says, You can ask my Father for anything in my name, and He will do it for you. And then we do it, and we don't see the results that we expect, And so we begin to struggle with that thought process and we say, well, then healing must not be true. A lot of denominations have moved away from believing there's healing. They they take a cessationist mindset that says the gifts of the Spirit and the actions of the Spirit and the works of the Spirit just aren't evident today. Listen, folks, some people don't believe in healing. We believe in healing. That's just how it is. We believe that. Now, how do we test it? (laughs) It's selective. But pastor, if it's something selective, you just guaranteed it 100% of people are healed. Yes. So now our cynical minds begin to go the other direction and say, say well, then if, if it's selective, then God's not good. Because you and I, we've, been, we've said that, I've said this before. I said, if God gave me the power to take this hand and put it on anybody that I wanted and see them healed, first place I'd go is, is Riley Hospital. And I'd mess that, I'd put it out of business. Yeah. Next! <laughs> and then I'd go up to Peyton Manning Children's Hospital. I'd do that one next. So in my thinking as a cynic, I think if I have that desire and I would be that giving, then why isn't God that giving? And we begin to judge God and we begin to have an attitude about God. But see, that's a fleshly mindset. You and I only see what's here in front of us. God sees the whole big picture. He sees the beginning from the end. He knows what's happening the next moment. He knows who needs healed and who it is that's better that they're not healed right at the moment. Just hold on to that thought. So I'm going to make a blanket statement again. And it's going to begin to reveal to us that we are guaranteed to be healed if we are a believer. 100% of believers are healed just as sure as 100% of believers are saved. I love how quiet the room is. Look at Isaiah 53. Look at it with me if you will. Isaiah 53. 100% of believers are healed just as as sure as 100% of believers are saved. Isaiah 53 verse 2. Speaking of Christ, He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. 
And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 100% of all believers are healed just as 100% of all believers are saved. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? If we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we're going to be healed one way or the other. When we stand in His presence, that's the ultimate healing any believer can receive. Amen? But there are some who will receive physical healing and other healings on this earth, and we believe in that too. But that type of healing is selective. Guaranteed healing is you and I as believers through this covenant that Jesus established on the cross. All of us are healed. Now let's think about this passage of Scripture as we look at it. Uh, This passage was written in Isaiah. It was spoken by the Lord to Isaiah over 700 years before Jesus put his foot on this earth. 700 years before Jesus went to the cross, over 700 years before Jesus went to the cross, this was spoken. And this is what's cool about our sovereign healing God. It was spoken in past tense. This God who knew that Jesus would come and walk the earth spoke through Isaiah in past tense about an event that's going to happen 700 plus years later. Look at it. He says words like, He grew up. Had no beauty, was despised and rejected. He is, we esteemed him not. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. We considered him, was pierced, was crushed, brought us peace, laid on him the iniquity. Listen, the only person that can speak now about events 700 years later that are past tense is our sovereign God. And the same God that spoke this is what blows my mind because everything in there was past tense except for this. By his wounds, we are healed. Everybody say are. Not a bunch of pirates, just say are. 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 Make a little hook and say are. We are healed. I'm sorry. Easily distracted. It's, I can't help it. <laughs> when, y'all, when all of you said R, this part of my brain right here put a patch on every one of your eyes. I can't help it. It doesn't say we may be healed. It doesn't say we will be healed, healed. And it doesn't even say we were healed, suggesting a time frame in the past. It says you are healed. Present. Much like this place is the place where the Lord provides. Listen, folks, listen, we're going we're gonna to tear this apart today. The fact that God says we are, listen, becoming something is different than being something. Amen? I could become the world's greatest pianist. Becoming the world's greatest pianist is something different than being the world's greatest pianist. Aspirations are different than possession. Amen? Aspirations are wonderful, but a possession of something, it it ignites a power inside of us that says, I am this. This is who I am. It's one thing to say, I'll be healthy one day. It's something totally different to say, I am healthy. One has a a feel of accomplishment to it, while the other says, well, maybe after January 1st, I might get back on the treadmill again. God said, you are healed. By his wounds, 
You are healed. Didn't say some of you. Didn't say few of you. Didn't say I'm going to be selective. He says you are healed. Every single believer, every child of God, when you come into the family, there is a promise that you're healed. You say, Pastor, I don't get this. I'm struggling with this. Well, let's, let's look at it in this angle. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you saved? You say, well, yeah, I'm saved. You're saved. Yes. Well, when are you saved? Are you saved when the Spirit comes to live inside of you, when you pray and repent of your sin and believe upon it? Well, yeah. Well, but then the Bible talks about the day of redemption that's coming. So when are you saved? Are you saved when you receive Christ? Or are you saved at the day of that redemption? Or is it, when is it? Tell me, is it now or is it when you really cross over into eternity and you're in the presence of God? Is that when you're saved? Because right now you say you're saved, but we live in a fallen world. So which is it? Are you saved now or are you saved then? And all of you, some of you right now, you'd go, I don't know. And some of you would say, yeah. And yeah, would be the right answer. You're saved now. But my question is, is have you come into the fullness of your salvation? Have you entered into the presence of God? Have you walked the streets of gold? And you would say, no, I haven't. Then I'd say, well, then how are you saved? I'm just saved. See, we can grasp it because we know that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit is a deposit of a promise that's coming. Amen. We know we got an inheritance in heaven. So Jesus, God speaks over us things that aren't as though they are. We are saved. We are righteous, even though we don't look righteous sometimes. We're justified. And we know that that is a promise that one day we're going to receive it in its full when we walk into His kingdom. Absolutely excited in the presence of God. Amen? We can grasp that I have already received salvation even though I haven't stepped on the streets of gold. But when I say you are healed, we have a problem believing that the healing has already been imparted to me. Well, someday I'll be healed, Pastor. Someday I'll walk the streets of gold and I'll be healed. Listen, you need to break the mindset of defeatism. I'm healed. I'm a child of God. His hand is upon me. Whatever I endure in this life, God has allowed me to endure it. And He's going to see me through it to the end. Amen? When you, have a, when you as a child of God are a child of God, we must understand who we are in His presence. He loves us. And he wants to work in us. Let's, let's, again, pick this apart a little further. A few, few different ways in which we are healed by the atonement. Now, when I say atonement, I'm going to say atonement a lot. And some of you are going to say, what's atonement? Um, atonement is the, the, the blood of Jesus that is shed on our behalf. Jesus goes to the cross. He hangs on the cross. The blood, reference the blood all through the scripture. We see lamb slain. We see all these things. We take communion. We're going to take communion here in a little bit. When we look at the Jews, we always talk about the blood of Jesus. That's the atonement. His blood on the cross, His sacrifice for our sins. Within that, there is an anointing. There is a healing. There is a forgiveness of sins. Those kinds of things. So when I refer to an atonement, some of you may not have heard that word. You may not understand it. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the blood that Jesus shed for you and I. The blood that that we deserve to shed for our own sin. Jesus shed it on behalf of us. So let's let's look at this. How, How is it... That the atonement, this, this atonement in Isaiah 53, it's what it's talking about. Jesus going to the cross for our sins. How does this bring healing? Well, the first and most important way it brings healing is it brings healing to a broken relationship. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 53, if you would. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came for one reason. He came to die in our place. We talked about that ram that was given to Abraham last week on Mount Moriah and how that lamb, that ram was sacrificed in place of Isaac. We know that Jesus said that a body had been given to him for the purpose of sacrifice, that he was coming to die for our sins. What this is talking about is that he came and died in our place. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did you know that when somebody would sacrifice uh, an animal uh, during you know, biblical times, during the Old Testament uh, situation, they'd bring the, 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 the spotless lamb in uh, to the temple area, and they would come in there, and the individual would put their hand on the head of the animal, and they would strike the animal dead in front of Why? Why did they do that? Because they would impart, it was a form of imparting, saying, this animal is going to die in my place for my sin. Now listen, folks, how many of you could take an honest, honestly take a, a sweet, innocent little lamb who's perfect, spotless, and, and without blemish at all, knocking Eve, <laughs> following you around, and you're taking it and carrying it around, it's licking the kids, all the way there for sacrifice, you know, and you get it there, and you have to put your hand on it. I don't care who you are, that's hard. You're not even going to get to eat the meat. (laughs) It's gone. Put my hand on it. When that scripture says, He laid, upon Him He laid the iniquity of us all. It's just the same as if you and I came and put our hand on our Savior's head. And drove nails through His hands and feet. And watched Him suffer and die. That's what that's talking about. Why is this healing for us? Is it one of those things that we say, Hey, I'm glad he got it and not me. No. No. It's one of these things where you and I were so far out of relationship with God because of our sin. We couldn't draw near to him. We couldn't be one with him. We could not be in fellowship with him. And our God loves us. He created us and he wants us to be in fellowship with him. So he said, I will go and I will send my son. Son, will you go? And he said, yes, I will. I will take on human flesh and I will bear the burden of their sin. I will be a man of sorrows. I will carry their sorrows. I will carry their iniquity to the cross. Why? So that you and I don't have to. Talk about a healing relationship. Bringing us into relationship with God. And there is power in that work. I would never minimize it. Never in a million years would I minimize that that relationship between us and God. There is power in it. In Mark chapter 5, when Jamie Montero was here a few weeks ago, he mentioned this account. And I'm not going to go into it in great detail. But but the the man that was demon-possessed in the area of the Gerasenes or whatever you pronounce it, 
He's there, and uh, he's, he's living among the tombs. He's cutting himself. He had supernatural strength. They couldn't chain him, couldn't tie him down. And yet he comes running out to meet Jesus, screaming at him like a violent man, falls on his knees before him and says, Are you coming to punish us before our time? And, de- and demons were cast out of him by Jesus and sent into a herd, and they run off into the water. Listen, all that stuff we've talked about, we've heard about, but I love Mark chapter 5, verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid i love this passage because i am a man who believes in the transforming power of jesus christ i love it i love to see sinners come to him and be transformed changed i don't care what you've done in your past i don't care what you've done you say pastor i can think of some pretty wicked people that don't deserve jesus if that's the case then you don't have him I believe in a God that can transform lives. Here is this man. Get this. We here in America, we want to say, oh, I want to see, I want to see people healed. I want to see arms and limbs grown back. I want to see somebody raised from the dead. Listen, you know that, that this salvation experience is greater, is greater than an arm being grown, grown back. This work right, ha- right here that happened to the demoniac man, do you know that that is a greater work than somebody being raised from the dead? It is a more powerful and more miraculous thing. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Even if somebody's arm grew back, if they never believed on Jesus Christ, it means nothing. Even if somebody was raised from the dead, which if you check the scripture, no evil wicked man has ever been raised from the dead. But if somebody had been that was wicked, if he was raised from the dead and never believed on Jesus, that act, that work was nothing. If God took away your fever and you didn't believe, if God healed your foot or your leg or your arm and you didn't believe, if God protected your life and you refused to believe, those things are nothing. But this man believed. And what came along with it? What came along with this demoniac when he believed? His mind was right. Emotional healing. His body was healed. This man that used to cut himself was now clothed, those things covered, and those wounds would heal up, and he may have scars as a testimony about what happened, but he wouldn't be hurt anymore. With salvation, with the atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ, there is a healing work that takes place in our lives. It begins when we get right with God. It begins when Jesus Christ is our all in all. And the things that follow is just a natural progression of being a child of God with a good father. Healing, the provision of God offered to the children of God. Secondly, the atonement heals emotional wounds. It doesn't just give us relationship. just doesn't give us relationship with the Father. But there's a healing to the emotional wounds. How many of us know emotional wounds are real? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I have counseled. And, and counseled many, many adult people who are wounded from something that was said in their childhood. They carried 40, 50 years, 60 years, even longer. Things done to them in their childhood that they have carried. Today, we just, we, we label them. Today, we, we label them and we, we, we make uh, mental health uh, evaluations and we give them pills. Listen, I'm not against all that. I'm not against it. I've seen it firsthand. Mental health issues are real. 
People dealing depression's a real thing. It's a horrible thing to get past. But I'm here to tell you today, there's a God that wants you to get you, wants to get you past it. And there's a God that's able. I'm not telling you throw your medicine away. I'll never stand up here and tell you to do anything outside of what your doctor is trying to help you to do. That would be stupid because I'd have lawsuits galore. But I will tell you this. Don't take God out of the equation. Don't ever take God out of the equation. Listen, you can be like this demoniac who, who he was not in his right mind, but after he found Jesus, he goes, in, in an instant, he's in his right mind. I've seen transformations happen in people's lives before, but yet here in America, we want to medicate ourselves. Alcohol, man, you can't go anywhere anymore without people drinking alcohol. I, I don't know how y'all do it. Some people do it and, and, and will have a beer here and there, whatever. Listen, I would never tell you to get drunk. I would encourage you to stay away from it altogether. It just tastes bad. <laughs> have you ever tasted it? If you've not tasted it, don't taste it. But it tastes bad. You're saying, oh, our pastor's tried alcohol. I've more than tried it. I've drank it. And I didn't like it. Tastes bad. But it's good to medicate yourself. Forget about your problems for a little bit. And then create more problems while you're drunk. Stop it. Medical marijuana. Non-medical marijuana. Recreational drugs. Man, just stay away from it. I ain't going there. Tried that too. But don't, don't do that, man. Not recently. Try it recently. Don't need that stuff. You know what you need? The greatest high I've ever been on was when I found Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't need that stuff, man. I don't have to have it. I don't want it. You don't need it. Quit medicating ourselves with food and and, and busyness and relationships and entertainment and things of that nature. We need to turn to Jesus. Why? Because the scripture says this. He carried our sorrows. Just like our sin was put on Him, you know what else was put on Him? Your sorrows. All the bad stuff. All the things that weigh you down. All the things that are debilitating. All the things that are like paralysis to you. It's like, I just can't face people. I just can't face this. I can't. So you hide. You run. You're shaky. You're nervous. You pop another pill just to get you through the day. Listen, folks. You don't have to do this. You don't have to worry and be fearful. Jesus Christ took upon Himself. That Scripture says that they looked at Him. They looked at Him and saw Him as stricken. They saw him as stricken of God, judged of God. Have you ever seen somebody before that you thought that person's judged of God, they deserve everything they get? Don't raise your hand. I've thought it before. God has a way of humbling us and taking us to a place of, of reality and who he is and the power of his hand. Amen. It's so easy to look at people and call them stricken of God. Listen, and there's times when it's emotional issues, we usually consider ourselves stricken of God. We usually consider ourselves afflicted by God. That's what that passage in Isaiah says. That they considered Him afflicted, basically by God. You and I, there are times where I know people have played with it in their minds. Does God hate me? Is God mad at me again? Is God punishing me? Is this why I'm going through this? God must not be happy. God, God, God. Listen, God is not putting this stuff on you. He put it on Jesus. So that you don't have to carry it. Stop going back to your childhood and picking up stuff that you should have put down years ago. 
Stop it. He's promised you joy. He's promised you peace. Look at verse 5. There's a peace involved in the atonement. But He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. There is a peace that should be in our lives as believers. It was Jesus that said this, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. Then He told His disciples in John 16, verses 32 and 33, He says, But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave Me alone. Yet I am not alone. My Father is with Me. I have told you these things so that in Me you may have peace. In this world you, have, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Listen, listen. Jesus in one breath says, you're going to be facing persecution and death. And the next breath says, hey, don't worry about it, have peace. There's going to be some stuff that's going to perplex you. There's going to be some stuff that comes into your life that's going to make you fearful and worry. There's going to be things that are going to come into your life that's going to make you scared. It's going to make you heartbroken. And it's going to make you hide and run and not want to be around people. It's going to do all kinds of things to you. But I encourage you, take heart. Don't be afraid. Have peace. Jesus said, I overcome the world. He's overcome the world. And they didn't even know that He was talking to them. In just a few days, He was going to take all the sorrows that they were fearful for and He was going to replace that with an offer of peace to them. So I'm going to give you a peace that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. Peace. Folks, listen, there is healing and emotional wounds and scars are real. And 1 Peter 5, 7 needs to become our mantra throughout this holiday season because people, I don't know if you know this, families aren't perfect. And if you think you got the perfect family, you're wrong because you're a liar and you're not perfect. Every family's got issues. I don't care who you are. And there's holidays bring stress to people. Oh, no, now we got to see Aunt so-and-so. She's got that beard and she always wants to hug me. (laughs) Uncle so-and-so's got that funny odor, you know what I'm saying? Just never goes away. Oh, great, he threw his coat on my bed and now my bed's going to stink. So you've got all these, I don't know, I'm just kind of off the cuff. I don't know if you noticed that, but... Here's, here's what it is that we need to grab a hold of. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. <laughs> Lord, today, Lord, today the worries that I have at work, I'm going to take those off of me. I can't control those. I'm going to do what I can do. Lord, I'm going to put those on Jesus. That's where they belong. They've already been carried. They've already been carried. The same God that sent His Son to the cross 2,000 years before I sinned carried my sin before I walked, before I was even born. Carried it before I could even sin it. Also carried the worries before I could ever worry them. It ain't mine to carry. That's His. Lord, I'm going to do what I can do. Now, if you're just stupid and you're creating problems for yourself, stop it. Some people make their own issues. Amen? Don't make issues and say, well, the Lord's going to carry No, you need to carry that one. And you need to fix it. You need to quit it. Amen? But there's other things that we can't help. I need to move on. I'm meddling and I just need to hurry. Lastly, 
The atonement brings not only just salvation and relationship renewal, not only emotional healing, but the atonement brings our physical healing as well. Look at verse 4 again. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He not only carried our sorrows, but he took up our infirmities. What is an infirmity? An infirmity is our sickness. Infirmity is our disease, those physical ailments, those things that hold us back, our infirmities. And and still, we looked at him, they looked at him and saw his infirmities and saw his wounds and they said he was stricken by God. He was smitten by God and afflicted by God. They saw his physical wounds. And you'd say, Pastor Bob, nobody would ever look at somebody with a... Now, people will will talk about people with mental health conditions. They don't care. They'll judge them like crazy. But somebody that's got a physical condition, they say, now you need to have compassion on them. I know I I raised a bipolar son, so uh, the doctor, they had to help us understand that, you know, every day that you're helping him emotionally get through stuff... Uh, just picture him as being somebody without any legs and you're helping him into their wheelchair. You would have compassion on the guy in the wheelchair, but you don't, it's hard to have compassion for somebody with mental health uh, issues because they just look normal. You know what I'm saying? But still, people with a physical disability, it says they looked at Jesus and because of his health issue of being beaten and stricken, they considered him to be afflicted makes me think of the account in John chapter 9 where Jesus and the disciples come up to a blind man who was begging. And the disciples, in all their self-righteousness, looked down and said, this man's been blind from birth. Who was it that sinned that caused this? Was it him or was it his parents? Now, number one, what a stupid question. Can a baby sin the minute it comes out of the womb? Oh, there you go. You're blind. Bad baby, you cried. You peed on the doctor. That's what my daughter did to our doctor. I thought it was awesome. I'll have to tell you why later. It was great. Great story. But baby can't be sinful. And so seriously, God's going to punish these parents by making the baby blind? And then the baby have to live with it all his life. And listen to what Jesus' response is in John 9, 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. In other words, he was allowed to suffer for this moment, a time where God would be glorified through his trial and healing. This man lived his entire life being seen as smitten, stricken of God. Surely he had heard the comments. People had made accusations. This was a simple thing for the disciples to stop and say, well, there's some reason, there's some sin involved. God wouldn't be this cruel to somebody. And yet there's comments made, there's conversations had, there's rumors started. The person sitting by himself hoping somebody gives him a little bit to survive off of. And then finally, Jesus comes into the picture and says, oh no, child, don't worry. You're not here because God hates you. You're here because God loves you and God's going to be glorified through your life. That quick as life changes. He spits in the mud. He makes mud, puts it on his eyes. Jesus speaks. The man obeys. He goes to the pool of Siloam, washes, and he comes back seeing. Provision was given. Physical healing. It takes place. 
This man had lived so long dealing with people, talking, but yet his infirmity was taken up already and he didn't even know it. What Jesus did was he saw the man and he said, I'll take that, took the blindness, put it on himself, carried it to the cross, and instated peace and healing into that man's life. You say, Pastor, I don't get it. Listen, parents in the room, have you ever looked at your child sick and said, Lord, if you could just take that from them and put it on me and make them well. If you've ever thought that, congratulations, you have a hint of the heart of your heavenly Father who had the power to come and to take it upon himself. You and I can be healed through the atonement of Jesus Christ. By his wounds, we are healed. There is a hope. It's coming. It's either coming sooner or it's coming later. But I guarantee you, it's coming. Why? Because we are the children of God. And we have to understand that the only time we're ever stricken is when we're apart from Christ. In John 3, verses 35 and 36, the Lord loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on Him. God's wrath remains on Him. If we are not... If we are not in relationship with Jesus Christ, we are still an object of wrath. However, the flip side of it is this. If we will believe upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the opposite of wrath happens. What is the opposite of wrath? You ready for this? Catch it. You ready? The opposite of wrath is love, compassion, mercy, and a plethora of other wonderful words. You say, why is that so important? Listen, if you were once an object of wrath and now by God's grace and by the work of the atonement on the cross comes to you, you become a child of God and now it's no longer wrath towards you but mercy, grace, and love, then I want you to lock that in your head and when you're doing your devotions, go through the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and begin to look and see if you can see each time when it speaks of Jesus' emotions and His heart toward the people just before He heals them. He went to this place and he had compassion on them there. He went to this place and he showed them love. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. (laughs) Mercy, compassion, and love. Mercy, compassion, and love. Oh my, mercy, compassion, and love. Oh my, mercy, compassion and love oh my that is how God sees you and when God is a God of mercy compassion and love towards you anything is possible and if he heals you in this life great if he heals you in the life to come great we don't have to walk around feeling like we're stricken or hated of God amen Let me close with this thought. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke 8. Luke 8, about finished. Luke chapter 8. And we see this account of Jesus going to heal a young girl, which turns out to be raising a young girl from the dead. Luke chapter 8. And you say, why are you sharing this, Pastor? Because a lot of times people will say, Pastor... Is God willing to heal me? 
today or even in the future. Is God able, not, I know He's able, Lord, but is He willing to heal me? And I want you to know that there, there is no standard. God has healed people who are saved. He's healed people that weren't saved and they believed on Him. I mean, that's just how God works. He's awesome and there is no standard that you have to live up to for Him to heal you. Except for salvation is going to bring the ultimate healing. Amen? Look at Luke 8, verse 41. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come, come to his home. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Some have a hard time believing that God would heal them. In this account, we see two things. We see a 12-year-old that's dying. And we see a woman, a 12-year-old girl that's dying, and a woman who's been dying for 12 years. A 12-year-old girl who's dying and a woman who's been dying for 12 years. Let's focus on this woman for just a moment. An issue of blood, a bleeding for 12 years. Rejected by her culture. She was considered unclean, stricken of God. Untouchable. She couldn't even sit in places in her house and then somebody else come in and sit there. She was consistently a reject of her culture. She had nothing left. All of her money had been exhausted. She had spent everything she could on doctors and avenues of hope and healing. She had nothing left. The other side of town, you have a 12-year-old girl who was innocent who was afflicted with a sickness that was going to take her life, with a father and a family who loved God according to the Old Covenant and was begging for a miracle. They were seeking God. They were seeking Christ out. Jairus interrupted Jesus and said, Please come to my home. My daughter is dying and she's going to be dead. And she did die before Jesus could get there. This woman, though, she didn't have that. She didn't have a support system. She didn't have people praying for her. They'd given up. You had one who was seeing their hope go away instantly before their eyes, and you had the other one who lost their hope years and years and years ago. Both were wounded. Both needed an answer. Both needed a hand from God. But nobody was bringing Jesus to this woman's house. Nobody was going They assumed Jesus wouldn't go in there anyway. It's unclean. 
But she had this determined spirit and she said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment. This innocent girl's dying at home while this selfish woman is pushing her way through the crowd and fighting with every ounce of energy that she has left from her body being drained of its life and she's working her way through and somehow touches the hem of his garment and instantly she's healed. Jesus stops and says, Whoa, somebody touched me. She didn't even touch him. She didn't grab his ankle. She didn't touch his toes. She didn't grab his arm or his hand or his shoulder or his neck or grab even touch his hair. She didn't even touch him. She touched his clothing. And he said, somebody touched me. So when he says somebody touched me, he's not talking about physical touch, flesh on flesh, anything like that. He says, somebody by their faith got a hold of my spirit. Somebody believed. Somebody spoke the spirit's language and it just left me. Power went out of me. I know somebody got healed. I felt it leave. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as one, the Son of God stands there and goes, whoa, I felt that. She didn't even touch him. He said, but somebody touched me. Pastor Zach was at convention this weekend. Pastor Zach Messick. I know, some of you say, good grief, is he ever going to shut up? I'll shut up in a little bit. Pastor Zach Messick was at convention this weekend. Before he left, he'd been dealing with a chest and sinus infection and just some issues, headaches. I've picked on him for weeks about being a crybaby with his headaches. I don't know if you know this about him. He doesn't like to be put out in front of people. He doesn't like to have to talk in front of people. Very humble, very quiet young man who loves God. There's one thing about him and Amanda is there's an anointing on them. There is a love. Their hearts, you talk about love, compassion, and mercy. Their hearts are this big. They're full of it. Full of it. And God loves that. Loves it. So I, Zach, I asked him, I said, how are you feeling? He said, my head still hurting a little bit, a little better today. And I just looked at him, shook my head, and I said, have a great weekend. Because all I thought to myself was no sleep, loud music, busloads of teenagers, and, and taken in and out of eating places together in exhaustion. He's going to be dead on Sunday. Text messages me on Friday night. He says, God just healed me. Like totally 100% healed me. And I was like, really? I texted him back. I said, what, what happened? Did you ask? Did, I mean, what, what was the scenario? And he said, the, he said the evangelist stood up there and he said, listen, if you're here and you have an asthma issue, I want you to raise your hand. And he said, I don't have asthma, but I'm getting in on this. I've got a lung thing going on. I got this thing with my head. It's convention. I got, I got to have something. So he said, I raised my hand. And then the man began to speak and he said, listen, I want you to begin to breathe in and out. God's going to open your sinuses up. And he said, instantly, it was just opened up and my lungs were clear. I was like, awesome. And he said, then they made me get up on the stage and talk about it. (laughs) And I looked at April and I said, God will exalt the humble. You come in there with a humble attitude and God said, I don't care if I make you sick for, for three weeks so that I can exalt you. I'll make you sick for three weeks so that I can heal you miraculously and put you in front of people to testify of my glory. It's a little bit like that blind man, isn't it? 
But this woman, she fought her way through. Zach raised his hand and, and he, he touched him. By his faith and believing, he touched him. Let me ask you today, do you believe? Do you have faith? It's not my touch that heals you, it's the touch of God. And for that reason today, I'm not going to touch you. But we are going to pray for healing. We're going to take communion first together. I'm going to explain why. If our men would come, we have four men to come and to pass out communion this morning. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, and some of the things I've said today has made you want to make Him the Lord of your life, that's His Spirit drawing you. And I encourage you right now, we're going to stay in a real prayerful mindset. Just begin to cry out to Him and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. Transform me. And if you do that, please let me know. Please let me know. But I just ask over the next few minutes, you would just remain prayerful as you're being served. Father, we just love you today. We believe that you are our healer. The things that happened in Jesus' day didn't just happen then. It happens today. Father, there are people here with needs. Some need to know you as their Lord and Savior. Some need that transformation that the demoniac went through. They need to be set in their right minds. And Lord, there are those here today that are having that happen to them. There are some, God, that, that, that people see them and they're afraid because of the power of your working in their lives. They don't understand it. Oh God, just have your freedom. Heal emotional scars. Heal those emotional wounds. Emotional wounds, Lord. Those things that are eating at us, those things that cause us to be fearful. Heal us, Lord. Heal our bodies. Lord, heal cancer. Heal blood diseases. Heal arthritis. Heal blindness, O oh God. Set families' homes in order. Give us peace of mind again, Lord. Peace of mind. Salvation is greater than resurrection. Salvation is greater than body parts being grown back. so grateful bless your name Lord bless your name worship you just begin to pray if you're here today and there's a physical ailment something that's causing you fear emotional need I want you right now just to begin to focus on that and I want you to touch him by your prayer by your faith He wants to pierce that and He wants to move in it and He wants to bring change, resurrection to our soul, healing to our bodies. The night before the Lord was betrayed and He went to the cross, 
sit down with his disciples for a meal. And he began to minister to them. He said this. He broke the bread and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance for me, of me. It's a breaking of his body. He carried our infirmities. Every broken part of our bodies was placed on him. And it's by his stripes we are healed, by his wounds, that we have healing in the life to come, but even here today. While today may be selected, 100% is going to occur in his presence. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that you love me enough that you were willing to allow your body to be broken so that my body can be healed. That you, by one act, reversed the effects of sin on all of mankind. If we would simply just reach out and touch you and believe. Father, I thank you for the healing, and I know there are many here right now that are in need of a physical touch from you. There are several that are not here right now among us that are in need of physical touch. Dale Holt, who's just had his thyroid removed for cancer. Zach Boley fell out of a tree stand and still healing up. Many, many others, God, are dealing with physical needs and issues before them. God, we receive this today as a reminder of your promise. And just as we receive this bread, we receive healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Partake together. You're so good. You're so good, oh God. We're so grateful. In the same way the scripture says after supper, he took the cup. I love that it says after supper. I never really noticed this before and thought about it, but it's after the supper. How do you feel after the supper? Full? Relaxed? All of your needs met? Satisfied? By His broken body satisfying every physical need we have, He says this, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And in His death, folks, we have life. And there is life He speaks speaks of this being the blood of His covenant. To the Jews, this blood was sacred. And you were never to eat or drink blood. But Jesus said to the crowd after He fed them and they followed Him to the other side of the lake, He looked at them and said that they are to eat His flesh and drink His blood. And many of them got offended and left. You remember that? He was pointing toward this. You see, the Jews looked at the blood as being the life of the animal. Jesus says, you want life? You can drink my blood. I'm not saying that this juice does this, but it's a symbol of the atonement, the blood that was shed that met not only our physical needs, but more importantly, our life, eternal life, spiritual needs, emotional needs that are wrapped up in that peace today. Father, we thank you today for the blood of Jesus, the atonement, 
and we receive the life that you have promised us. The life that is here, a life full of love, mercy, and compassion, and a life that is to come. Father, we thank you today, and we receive that life together. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just simply stand with me, lift your hands, and just begin to thank him?